didn't our gospel reading sound really nice? It always surprises me when I read these passages before a congregation that nobody laughs because there's a lot of funny stuff in there. It's all become, become nice and Christianized to us and so we don't notice how odd what Jesus is saying here. Our reaction is to sit and smile and to think about how sweet it is to think about Jesus being our good shepherd. Maybe you even have a picture of Jesus in a nice clean robe holding a little lamb or something. And nobody really laughs at this image that Jesus is painting for us. It's certainly not the reaction of the people who heard it the first time. If you happen to have your Bibles with you, where you are, you can look right down the page to verse 19. This is right after the section that I read to you. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Was that your reaction as I read what Jesus said? That guy's nuts. He's insane. Why should I listen to him? What's so weird about what Jesus says that the people who hear him think he's crazy? Well, the first thing is that he compares himself to a shepherd. The first thing is that he's almost bragging about being a shepherd. Being a shepherd is not a very pleasant job. I happen to have been a shepherd for a summer. I worked for a summer at the University of Florida sheep plant, a uh, sheep uh, unit, sheep unit. It used to be just south of the VA hospital. I don't know if it's still there. I haven't been over there very often. It wasn't a very pleasant job, even with fences. And we weren't out in the desert trying to guide them around with, um, by our voices and all that kind of stuff. It's not a very pleasant job. It's usually given off to the hireling, Jesus calls them, or to the youngest son. You may remember that from the David story. A common saying in the first century ancient Near East was, the shepherd smells like his sheep, which means you take on the characteristics of the people that you hang around with, but everybody knows a shepherd smells like sheep. One of the first things you learn about sheep is that sheep are not fluffy and cuddly like cotton balls. They're greasy and slimy and sticky and smelly. And the smell sticks to you because their grease is sticky. Not only did Jesus say that he is a shepherd, but he compares himself to the owner of the sheep. Well, if you're around sheep very much, if you're the one who owns the sheep and you're out hanging around with the sheep, you're not very good at your job. Because if you were good at it, you'd have enough money to hire a hireling to go and do the work. Or maybe to send out your youngest son. But if you're the one hanging out with your sheep, you're really not very good at it. There's some other things here that just simply don't make an awful lot of sense. Jesus breaks rule number two of animal husbandry. Jesus says he knows his sheep by their name. Rule number two of animal husbandry is you don't give your food names. You don't name your food. And if, even if Jesus did give names to the sheep, our shepherd gave names to the sheep, the shepherd isn't going to keep the names straight. Leanna and I have two dogs. I can't keep their names straight. My mom and dad had three kids, and between the two of them, they couldn't keep the three of us straight. My little brother John one time asked my mother if his real name was James John, because that's what his parents called him all the time. You'd think his parents would know what his name was. Maybe his real name is James John. 
Well, that one's kind of funny, but more seriously, Jesus breaks rule number one of animal husbandry. Rule number one of animal husbandry is that animals give their lives for us. And animals live so that we may have life and that we may have life more abundantly. For that matter, whether we're speaking of hunting or animal husbandry, animals live to give their lives for us. They live so that we may have life and that we might have life more abundantly, that the meat and the eggs and the milk and the feathers for down comforters and the fur to keep us warm, to chase away mice or to just be companions, animals give their lives for us that we may have life and have it more abundantly. But Jesus says he will lay down his life for the sheep that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And although it's not apparent here, Jesus is going to become a sheep, to be the lamb of the sacrifice, and in fact to smell like sheep as he walks among us and then to give his life for us, that we may have life and have it more abundantly. What is this abundant life that Jesus is talking about? Well, this might be a very good point in time to ponder that question. This morning in particular. This morning in particular. Because Florida, as most states, are in the middle of entering what the CDC calls phase one of reopening the economy, reopening economic activity. Servants is entering phase one of reopening. Our diocese has been very careful about putting forward sample plans for us to look at. There's no need to be nervous or anxious. You'll be well informed about moving through phase one, phase two, phase three. We have our emergency team working on that plan and they will communicate that to you quickly and you'll see what's going on. But yet there's anxiety this point in time in particular. May 5th is on Tuesday. Unless things have changed since I was a student in Gainesville, May 5th is the last day to pay rent without there being late penalties and the risk of being kicked out of your apartment. Rent is due on May 5th, Tuesday. And there are renters who are worrying if they can make their rental payment. There are owners who are worrying that they can't make their mortgage payment if they don't get their renter payment. Others are anxious. When will my company call me back to work so that I can get a paycheck? Others are nervous, asking, will my business have any customers? On everyone's mind is the question, what's going to happen if I get infected? What's going to happen to me? And at this time in particular, we need to be reminded of Jesus' promise of abundant life. And Psalm 23 summarizes that promise for us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Psalm 23 paints a picture of Christ's abundant life. Now in this picture there are hints of material comfort and the feast that spread before us and the anointing of the head with oil. But the chief marks of this abundant life 
is the presence of Christ. As I was going over this part of the the service, before the service, I heard our musicians practicing the gradual. You just heard, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. To be in the presence of Christ is this abundant life that Jesus promises. And Psalm 23 summarizes that for us and paints that picture. You make me to lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. You restore my soul. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And all of this for the purpose that you'll lead me in paths of righteousness. All these blessings, the pasture, the, gui- the guidance, the still waters, flow through us to result in works of righteousness, to walk in paths of righteousness. And all of this culminates in a summary of abundant life, to be surrounded by God's mercy and goodness and to dwell in the presence of God. That's the abundant life that Jesus promises, to have God's goodness and mercy follow us and for us to dwell in the presence of God. Is that good enough for you? It's a serious question. I ask you to consider it. Would life be abundant for you if you were simply surrounded by God's goodness and mercy and dwelt in the presence of Christ? That's a serious question. It's a serious question because if you're content with that, then you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death without fear. You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and say you fear no evil, or you have your mask and your job, but I'm afraid a lot of people are going to find that that's not enough. And there's going to be lots of fearful people. Could you be so bold as to say, I fear no evil because Christ is with me? Is it enough for you to say that? I'll fear no evil because Christ's goodness and mercy surrounds me. And I ask you that question because I feel convicted that maybe it isn't quite enough for me. And that means that I need to repent. And maybe you do too. Maybe I'm realizing I put more faith in other things than in Christ's goodness and mercy and presence. And so I ask you, will you be content with Christ's provision of abundant life? Are you ready to say that it's enough? Because Jesus says it's enough. And we come back to the stunning truth of Easter, which is a simple conclusion. If Jesus can defeat death, then we can trust him with anything. And his promise here is that even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, his goodness and mercy and presence are enough for you to walk without fear. And he should know, since he's the one who defeated death. Is that enough for you? In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.